0: you're looking to dive into topics on how to live a happier healthier more fit and long lifespan then you've come to the right podcast living the dream with me coach damian evans together we will explore the topics on all things health fitness and wellness together we will be lifelong learners on this journey to living the ultimate dream What up team, Coach D here coming at you from beautiful, sunny San Diego. Today we're gonna discuss the topic of why soreness and sweating are not good indicators of a good workout. Before we get into the topic of the day, I want to start by thanking the sponsors of this podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Lululemon. Lululemon has some of the best athletic wear for both males and females. I pretty much only wear Lululemon. The quality of material and the durability and breathability are perfect for my active life. Another one of our sponsors is Dirt Food healing and delicious superfoods made by hand and made with love. Dirt Food was created by a local San Diego friend of mine who was going through her battle with cancer. She was looking for cancer fighting superfoods to help her defeat her two different types of cancer. She created this delicious and healthy superfood granola that she makes by hand in small batches in her kitchen. Visit eatdirtfood.com and use the discount code DirtyDamian for 10% off your entire purchase. I eat it Every single day as a snack and get it auto shipped to my door on a monthly subscription. That's Dirty Damien, D I R T Y D A M I E N, no space for the discount code for 10% off your entire purchase. And now on to the topic of the day. So, if you were to ask a group of people, what makes a good workout good? Most people will come out of a workout and they're going to talk about how hard it was, they're going to talk about how sweaty they got. And then almost masochistically bragging about how sore they're going to be from it. But there are many types of reasons why people are working out. Some people have goals of body fat loss. They just want to lose the excess body fat that they've accumulated over time. This is what I see the most. Others are looking to put on lean muscle mass. They want to increase the lean muscle mass that they have on their body. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I want to tone my muscles. It's pretty much the same thing. Lifespan goals are another goal. They want to live a better quality of life for a longer period of time. And then there are a select few people that are looking for performance goals, right? I think of athletes when it comes to this, obtaining a peak performance in a very specific activity. So with all the different types of goals out there, why do people still insist on using soreness and sweating as the indicator of a good workout? Let's discuss exactly what's happening when you experience soreness, both during, immediately after, and then a couple days after working out, and then we can get into what's happening when your body sweats. So what is muscle soreness? Let's talk about during your exercise and then immediately after, that burn that you feel. Well, when you're doing an exercise, you're doing multiple reps of the same movement. As you contract that muscle multiple times, this creates the muscle fascicle size to swell. The tension created by the muscle causes the blood vessels delivering oxygen and blood to that muscle to collapse. So this can result in oxygen not being able to be delivered to the muscle, which increases the acidity buildup. This is also called acidosis. This means that the muscle has to rely on anaerobic activity or without oxygen because that blood cannot bring oxygen to the muscle. So now it's relying on anaerobic activity, which that can't be maintained for a prolonged period of time. Pain receptors in the muscle can detect this acidic buildup which then tell the motor neurons of that muscle to deactivate, which is what muscle failure is. And you've probably experienced this when you're doing a exercise for multiple reps. And let's say you're doing it for time and you're follow along with the coach or the group, and you're hitting these last few seconds. And that exercise is super hard to complete, even though you have a light weight. Well, that's because the muscle has been told to deactivate because the blood vessels in that muscle have collapsed from that muscle swelling with all those constant reps, the muscles are gaining intracellular fluid, causing them to swell. So that's pinching off those blood vessels. Now, the pain receptors tell the muscle to stop, and then as soon as you stop that exercise, blood flow can return to that area, clearing up the acidic buildup, and then the burning sensation subsides, and you can go for another set. Another example I like to think of is if you were holding an isometric wall sit, just sitting against the wall with your knees at 90 degrees, or if you were downhill skiing and you were in that kind of iso squat for a long period of time, well, you're contracting a muscle for that long period of time and slowly causing that contracted muscle of the thigh or the quad to squeeze and pinch some of the blood vessels closed. You're going to feel that burning sensation building and building. But once you stop, you stand up and you shake the legs out, that Feeling subsides and oxygen has returned to the muscle, cleared out the acidic buildup, and then you can go for another set. So that's what's happening right when you're exercising and then immediately after. But we've all felt that feeling the the next day or two days later where you have a hard time sitting down on the couch. You have a hard time climbing stairs. You are so sore that it affects your movement. What is that? Well, it's called delayed onset muscle soreness or DOMS, D-O-M-S. And this mostly occurs from tiny rips or micro tears in the muscle also known as microtrauma. trauma happens during the eccentric phase of the movement mostly, which is the lowering phase. So if you were to take a bicep curl, when you take your hand up to your shoulder and squeeze, that's the concentric. When you squeeze, that's the isometric. And then a nice lowering phase back to the starting position, that's what we refer to as eccentric. And that's where the most damage is done. Now, eccentric movements put extra tension on the proteins of the muscle, and they create tiny tears that trigger inflammation in the muscle, telling the body that it's in need of repair. The body activates these nociceptor neurons. These are neurons that are responsible for sensing pain. So nociceptors, those neurons are released, and they're telling you that you do not want to use that muscle while it's being repaired. The more you use it, the longer the repair is going to happen. So that's why you're feeling that pain. Now, the body activates the neurons, tells you not to use them, and then as time passes, the muscles heal and the pain goes away. However, there's still not enough research on if the muscle soreness that you feel is equaling the muscle growth or strength. They don't know if it's using the same mechanism. So researchers have found that making yourself super sore doesn't necessarily mean that the muscle is growing or getting stronger. Now, the reason you stop getting sore after multiple sessions of the same activity is from what they call the repeated bout effect. And that's because the muscle soreness comes from your activity that you're not used to. After a while, these muscles adapt and the soreness lessens. So that's the repeated bout effect. Now, DOMS is most common experiencing those abnormal activities or things that you haven't done for a long period of time. And it was once believed that DOMS was caused by lactic acid buildup. Uh, this has been, been recently debunked, and there's no evidence that has been found that blood lactate levels have anything to do with DOMS. Research actually shows that the lactate levels return to normal and back to pre-activity levels long before the, sick, the soreness sets in. And we're talking within minutes, not days. So as mentioned earlier, DOMS occurs from the eccentric muscle contractions, and during these lowering eccentric contractions, fewer muscle fibers are recruited for the same amount of power as the other two movements. That means that this puts a greater force load on the muscle, which creates more microtrauma on each fiber. This eventually leads to inflammation, weakness, tenderness, and pain, and then the healing process begins and scientists can measure this they can measure muscular damage through the muscular proteins that are in the blood like creatine kinase myoglobin stuff like that and they can even do muscle biopsies to see what kind of muscular damage has been done for a certain activity so they see that this muscular proteins that are in the blood that remains elevated in the blood immediately after the workout but also for up to 72 hours after you've done that workout now when they must when they biopsy the muscle, they can see that the damaged tissue, that it never returns to normal. Instead, what the body does is the immune system degrades the damaged tissue. And this process is where the inflammation, tenderness, localized pain comes from. And over time, newly formed tissues will be made to replace the damaged tissue. And this tissue is actually more resistant to further stress from that same activity. This is shown through research that identical bouts of the same exercise stress after the tissue has been regenerated stronger, it yields only minor symptoms compared to the initial stress. So that's why you stop getting as sore if you stay consistent and if you maintain that strengthening routine. So as you can see, just because you're sore, it doesn't mean that you're getting stronger, that you burn more calories, that you got more body fat loss. You're actually creating a stress to the muscle. And now a small amount of soreness can be a great way to stress that muscle enough to get an adaptation to let the body to build it back stronger and better. However, if you are too sore, you could be doing more harm than good and actually taking you further away from your fitness goal. So soreness is not a great measure of how good a workout was. What about sweating? What's really happening when you sweat? Well, there are a number of things that can make us sweat. There's illness. If you've ever been sick so bad, had the flu that you've had you've had the sweats, that's one thing. You could eat spicy foods. I eat food, spicy foods all the time and get sweaty. You could be nervous and get sweaty, but the most familiar way to get sweaty is obviously exercise. Sweating is a response to movement that happens on a microscopic level inside your cells. Now, when you exercise, you put an increased demand on the muscle, which requires a larger amount of energy than you're accustomed to. This is a process called cellular respiration where it uses up both oxygen and glucose and that turns into the energy currency of the cell, which is called ATP. We've all heard about this, the ATP. This is done mostly by the mitochondria, which is the powerhouse of the cell. So the more that you work, the harder the mitochondria have to work to break down that ATP, the energy currency of the cell. When the mitochondria breaks down the ATP, it generates heat This stimulates temperature receptors in the brain that tell your your brain that the body is heating up. The hypothalamus in your brain regulates body temperature. So when it receives this information that the body is heating up, it sends signals to the body's sweat glands that it's time for the sweat glands to do their job. This is all done through the sympathetic nervous system. Now, a lot of people believe that the liquid that comes out of you, what we call sweat, is you actually losing body fat. And now this is uh, partly true, but only by a small amount. We'll get into that later. Only a small percentage of fat loss results in water loss, sweat, urine, etc. Most fat loss actually occurs through a different process. And I'll talk to you about that in just a second. Let's finish up with what actually happens when you sweat. When the sweat gland first receives a signal from your brain, the base of the sweat gland pumps in sodium and chloride into a sweat duct pulling water with it when this gets pushed up through the duct through water pressure it gets pushed out onto your skin now the body tries to reabsorb some of that sodium and chloride that way it can be used later on when needed but sometimes the body can't reabsorb all the electrolytes and that's when experts believe that you uh, experience the cramping sensations that some of us have gone through once the water is in the sweat absorbs the body's heat then it can evaporate off the surface of your skin and that in turn lowers your body temperature When your body temperature is low enough, your brain tells the glands that you've done your job, awesome, go ahead and stop generating that sweat. Which means that sweat is really your body's defense mechanism for overheating, not necessarily because you're losing fat, gaining strength, increasing performance, or whatever else your fitness goal is. So is the amount of sweat a good gauge on how effective the workout really was? Research says not really. Now, I want to discuss one of the main fitness goals people have, and that's fat loss. Most people that I work with, that's what they're looking for. They want to lose that body fat. We can discuss the other goals like muscle mass gain, performance enhancement, lifespan, and all that other stuff in upcoming podcasts. But right now, we're in an epidemic, an obesity epidemic. And the majority of people I coach are looking for fat loss. And if you ask the average person, where does body fat go when you lose it? What do you think they'd say? Most would answer either sweat or heat or it goes right into the toilet or some variation of that, but most everyone would be honest with you when they say that they don't know the true correct answer. Maybe this is why we're in an epidemic. We have this crazy problem that no one really knows the answer to, but what's funny is that science has already answered this question. So the only real reason people don't know is because we haven't been properly educated, And instead of informing us, we get taken advantage of by these weight loss supplements, these famous diets, these books and fast acting weight loss programs. They all promise this wonderful magical pill that promises to destroy body fat super fast. We need to better educate ourselves on how to understand the how and the why behind fat loss. Once we have that information, we can attack our fitness goals with a game plan that actually works and is healthier for a more effective and long run than any of those other things that I just mentioned. So this next part is a little science-y, so stick with me. The chemical equation to human body fat is made up of a bunch of carbon, a bunch of hydrogen, and a bunch of oxygen. So body fat is carbon, oxygen, hydrogen, which have broken down, makes up a bunch of CO2, which is carbon dioxide, and H2O, water. So body fat broken down with a bunch of carbon, a bunch of oxygen, a bunch of hydrogen makes a lot of carbon dioxide and some water. Now, some higher level chemistry is done to find the equation. But what they found is that if you take fat, you add oxygen to it, it creates carbon dioxide and water. So to way oversimplify this process. When you inhale the oxygen, it binds with fat and that creates carbon dioxide and water. Now, all of this stuff that I'm mentioning, the carbon, the hydrogen, the oxygen, it all has weight. They all weigh something. They have mass. So this is why when people say if body fat is lost through heat, they can't possibly be right because you can't change mass into energy. It's called the conservation of mass. And what's crazy to me is that we actually use calories, which is a source of energy, it's the amount of heat energy needed to raise the temperature of a gram of water by one degree Celsius. So how are we using calories, a source of energy, to help us navigate and measure how much food we eat? This just isn't adding up to me. So let's get back to how do we make fat? How does carbon dioxide and water become fat? Well, plants actually make fat. Well they make the sugar and in turn we eat the sugar and our bodies make fat with it. But plants start it all. Plants take carbon dioxide, they take water, and a chemical called chlorophyll that holds it all together and then that plant uses sunlight to bind everything together. This is what they call sugar or glucose or fructose. When we ingest food, our body breaks down the bond between the glucose and the fructose through digestion and then the molecules enter our bloodstream. After the molecules get into our cells, then we can use them for energy. And very simply put, that's how we continue to live. Now, when there are too many molecules in the blood, the body does what? They store it as fat. And once we have too much fat, that's when we start to get obese. And that's that long process to why we are where we are. So the big question is, how do we lose body fat? And where does it go? When you lose weight, you're losing atoms. Biologists at the University of New South Wales did a breakdown of where exactly these atoms go when you lose fat. You're actually losing it through, drumroll please, yes, you probably guessed it, the breath that you exhale, the carbon dioxide, and water. A really cool video explaining this on YouTube is The Mathematics of Weight Loss by Ruben Meerman. So if you go on YouTube, search The Mathematics of Weight Loss by Ruben Meerman, a really cool 15 to 20 minute video pops up. I highly recommend watching that. The experts figured out that if you're losing 10 kilograms of weight, you're losing 8.5 of that of CO2, around 85% exhaled right there, out your breath. And then only 1.5 kilograms of water, around 10 to 15% urine, sweat, tears maybe it depends on how hard you're working out or how mean your coach is but that's crazy to me how are we losing all this body fat through the the carbon dioxide that we exhale so if soreness and sweating not a good indication what is a good indication of a good workout well first you have to have your goal clearly defined what is your fitness goal and define it most people talk they're going to be concerned with the body fat loss and the toning of muscles but Some people are looking for a better quality of life, longer, more independent lifespan. Some people are looking for strength gain and a select few are looking for aesthetics, just want to look better. All of these are amazing, clear goals that a person can strive for. But once you have that goal, then you should shift your mindset from exercising, kicking your butt, just going in, getting it done to actually training. Why should your working on your fitness be any different than a plan that you have to, let's say, save money? or do your daily schedule. When you train, you have to have a clear vision of where you want to go and how you're going to get there, and you have to have check-ins along the way to make sure you're on track. So first, let's discuss how do you know if you overdid your workout? Well, how do you know if you went too hard? If you walk out of your workout thinking you need to go lay down, or if you're so spent that it affects the rest of your day, or if you want to go home and sleep, you probably overreached. You should feel accomplished, you should feel calm, a little energized, that small endorphin rush that they always talk about should be there. If you feel like you beat yourself up, then you went too far. If you're planning for the long haul and you have a long-term goal in mind, then it's better to work out and leave a little bit left on the table than to overtrain. If you're frequently injured, or if you're always in chronic pain, or you easily get sick and you can catch small frequent colds, then this is a good sign that you're overtraining. If you're still sore from your workout three days later or longer, then you definitely went too hard. Another great indicator that you're overtraining is if you have decreased performance. This is huge. When the weights start feeling heavier, you start feeling slower, and you start feeling more tired than usual, you may need a rest day. Now, if you measure your workout success with sweat and soreness, it requires you to have a ton of motivation. Think about it. If you go into a workout saying, I want to sweat as much as possible and I want to get as sore as possible, that takes a lot of motivation to attack a workout like that three to five days per week or more. That's a lot. The problem with this is, is that motivation comes and goes. It spikes, it fades. You aren't tracking anything. So you can't see any objective numbers showing on your progress. You can't know if you're on the right track. You're literally just abusing your body with no game plan on where you want to go. A good workout is one that you have well-programmed with exercises that get you closer to your fitness goal. It focuses on the long-term, slow, continual progress, not the fast-track, the magic pill route. If you see a program that says lose 30 pounds in one month or anything like that, you know that either it's too good to be true or it's only gonna cause more damage and bounce back in the long run. I personally believe that if you treat your exercises like a skill and you're trying to get better at that skill every time you practice it, you will find so much more greater satisfaction in your results. Rather than just thinking about your workout as a portion of your day where you punish yourself for the things that you've eaten, you'll be more likely to achieve your fitness goals through consistency and slow gradual progress. So if you're doing a squat, You're constantly working to try to get more mobility in a larger range of motion. You're trying to get stronger in every part of the movement. You're trying to perfect your form. You're keeping your toes right where they need to be, your knees in line with those toes. You're stopping your chest from falling forward. You're trying to take it one rep at a time. The best quality rep you can possibly bring before you go for another rep. And then if you can't perform that rep With perfect form then you regress the movement and you keep burning from there so like with a push-up a lot of people have trouble with push-ups for the first push-up you go on your toes you go as low as you can go with perfect form and then if you can't do it with perfect form you drop to your knees you don't do these half rep push-ups from the toes and risk injuring your shoulder your neck doing those chicken head pecs that we always see that's not getting us any better just drop the ego at the door, do the best that you can do right now, and then figure out a way to slowly get to that higher progression. You must take time and stop and think about the real why behind why you're working out. Why are you training? Yes, body fat loss, right? But why is body fat loss important to you? Is it the health that you get? Is it because you have better quality of life? You can chase your kids around. Be honest with yourself and go figure that out. You can start attacking each training session with that why in the back of your mind guiding you. After that, you'll notice that you perform each movement with a lot more concentration. You'll want to nail each exercise perfectly. When I started thinking about my everyday operations and how I was lacking hip mobility during certain during doing certain movements, how my knees would hurt if I sat too long, I would even notice at the bottom of my squat, my butt would start to wink underneath me. And that caused a lot of stress in the low back and in the hips. So. When I saw all this, I started to make my why. I wanted to be able to perform these movements without pain. Like I'm only 30 years old. I want to be able to do these movements. I should be able to do these movements. And so when I used that as my why, trying to get a better quality of life with less pain, I started to sit in deep squats throughout the day. I challenged myself to get off the floor without using my hands. That constant why reminding me throughout the day that I don't want to be 90 years old and I can't get out of a chair. If I every day get off the floor, get on the floor without my hands, if I do that over the next 60 years, where will I be? And that's what training should look like to you. That is how you should attack each one of your training sessions. Sweating and soreness have their place, but they should not be your compass to whether you have a good workout or not. Your goal is to be able to feel that you created an overload the day that you're training and the day after you're training, but it should not affect the way that you move throughout your daily routine. If you're so sore that you can't lift your arms up, that you can't sit down on the toilet without groaning, then you went too far. I like to touch my muscle after I've worked it the next day and flex it and see if I can feel anything. If I feel a little twinge or a little soreness, then that's perfect. But you shouldn't have it at the front of your mind when you're moving your body. More is not always better. You want to send that signal to your body that you've created a small amount of muscular damage to repair and rebuild, bigger and stronger. But you got to start slow you got to measure your progress, and you got to stay consistent with your routine. Consistency and mindset are the two biggest things that are going to get you to where you want to be. This is where you'll find the most long-term success towards your fitness goals. All right, Dream Team, that's it for today. Please share with me any knowledge, thoughts, or questions you may have on today's topic. I'll make sure to answer and discuss on the next episode. You can ask your questions in the comments section or message me on any of the social media platforms. Also, I would be so thankful if you shared this episode with any of your friends or family that may be able to benefit from today's podcast. I would love it if you could do me a solid and screenshot this podcast and share it on your social media platforms and just write one takeaway, one aha moment that you got from this episode. This will help me know what's really valuable to you and so I can keep the good information coming. And it also lets your network know if this podcast is worth a listen to them. Thank you so much for listening and learning here with us on the live in the dream podcast. We are so grateful for you being a part of this lifelong learning journey. If you have any topics you'd like to discuss, please let us know in the comments or by messaging me on Instagram at coach underscore SD. Be kind to someone today, smile at someone today, and leave every person you come into contact with better than before. Until next time, friends, keep living the dream.